surely not analysis or actual reflection, accounts for an excuse based simply on a woman's sex and not on what she does or is capable of doing. Welcome to Man Unmade, a podcast normalizing the authority and power of women's voices in a man's ear. Believe whatever you want to believe, whatever it may be. But if it does not affect you personally, do not place any worth on someone else's life. On what was probably a normal day in South Korea in December of 1983, a young child was born. She came into the world with no idea what was about to happen. She'd never heard of America, didn't know what adoption was, never cooked on the line, and never tried carpaccio made from local Wagyu beef or had the pleasure of tasting a hydroponic green salad made with local squash, treviso, kale, and a pine nut vinaigrette. And she'd certainly never heard of a culinary competition show called Top Chef, which she would ultimately win on season 10 as the first woman of color to claim the title. She is Kristen Kish, and she is a gym. She's a world-renowned chef, engaged to marry the love of her life, Bianca, and she's my friend. Getting to hear from her is one of the best things you can do for yourself today, I promise. All right, everybody, I am so excited today um, to be speaking with Kristen Kish. She is amazing. Uh, You may know her um, from Top Chef, which we're not going to talk a ton about today, uh, but Top Chef, uh, she won it. Uh, back uh, 2012, is that right, Kristen? I think so. Yeah, yeah, season 10. And um, that you're the second female, but the first uh, woman of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so congratulations uh, just on winning, uh, but you. also for trailblazing. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm super, super excited to uh, have you today for so many different um, reasons. Um, one major reason is because I just love food. (laughs) Um, I don't, you, you might not be able to tell by the look of it. Um, but I'm getting a little, um, puffy in the face. (laughs) 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 It's holiday break and I am in full holiday mode. Um, there's some good food being eaten around here right now. And I'm happy about that. Um, okay. So. Um, Here we go. Let's jump into it. Um, I was introduced into the cooking world um, and really mainly the restaurant world through um, Anthony Bourdain, okay? And I read the book Kitchen Confidential, um, the whole thing. And if you read that, if that's your look into, your first look into restaurants, you go, holy hell, what kind of just debauchery Botchery is going on back there in the kitchen. Um, it sounds like a rock concert, uh, like backstage, you know, and there's just sex and drugs and alcohol and language and anger and everything. Um, and it, it, it seems kind of wild. Um, then I meet you and I come to your restaurant uh, with my family down in Austin, Arlo Gray, we'll get to that in a little bit. And you invite us back to the kitchen and it is the most peaceful thing in the world. Sweet people, kind. Um, 
what happened? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, the evolution of kitchens has taken, it, it hasn't been a straight path for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly Anthony Bourdain's experience, and especially during that era, mm-hmm. it, it was a very true reality for the majority of people in the industry. Mm-hmm. I think what has happened and what has changed is that um, when you are a, a student, especially in that area and, and style of kitchen, you eventually go on and you lead your kitchen that same way. It's all you mm. know. Uh, but I think through media, through storytelling, through interviews, through podcasts, through mm-hmm. um, a glimpse into how other people run, I think that things started to shift and change. And when you are a person in that environment and you are somewhat of, for lack of a better term, a victim in some ways, whether it be to bullying or uh, abuse and, and verbal or sexual yeah. abuse, whatever, yeah. then you then you become the change. And so yeah. unfortunately, that oftentimes you have to go through that in order to become the change. But fortunately, you you are strong enough to uh, make an impact moving forward. So mm. I can only speak from my particular uh, experience and instincts, but like I, I never really faced the worst of it. Mm. I have been very fortunate to work for people and for restaurants that, you know, for all intents and purposes were more healthy than a lot of other places. Yeah. Um, I did face discrimination. Um, sure. You know, mostly I think because of my gender. I think Mm. after coming out um, as being gay, that also added another layer. Yeah. Um, And I've worked for really strong female leads. And Mm. eventually, through the things that I did not like for myself, those are the things that when I vowed to myself, I'm going to run a kitchen um, or make an impact, I'm going to do everything that Mm. I you know, I, th- that I change everything that I didn't like. Yeah, And absolutely. that's really where it starts for, for so many people. And so what you saw in, in Austin was a combination of one that I took time and many years to learn what I did mm. not like and what I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I figured out how to be a good leader because good leaders aren't, you know, they just don't pop up everywhere. You have to learn and work uh, yeah. to be really good at it. So. Yeah. It was a combination of a lot of life experience and education that so, eventually got to that place. Here's the thing, though. You, you, you're tatted up, mm-hmm. okay? Left arm, I think. You got a little oh, bit of a sleeve. Arms, both, both arms. Both arms okay. a little bit on the neck, yep. Okay, all right. So you're going neck. Um, and and uh, you got the edgy hairstyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, hairstyles I could never pull off. And I, <laughs> I can't pull off the tats either. Just doesn't look right. It's not it's not my jam. You haven't tried. No. I <laughs> <laughs> Listen, no matter what you do or who you think you are in your head, if it brings you joy, you put that tattoo on and okay. you're going to rock exactly, it. That, yeah. that, I love that. That is fantastic. <laughs> um, but like, here's the thing. So you're tatted up. You got the edgy hairstyle. If you wanted to, Kristen, really and truly, and I, and I think I've, you know, like um, you just give off such a, such a warm energy, but you could be that badass, intimidating, like, chef, you know, the Gordon Ramsay, the, you know, whatever, because that's, that's the chef world, right? Like you're yelling and you've made it to the top. You're the, you're the owner of the restaurant. So you can go in there and you can do whatever you want. I mean, why don't you do that? 
Why? Why? Because you're the nicest person ever. You are literally like so sweet. Now I imagine you probably do have to get some, you know, in, yeah. intense every once in a while in the kitchen, but why not? It's worked forever. Well, here's the thing. There's a difference between being mean and being intimidating while also being, there's another side where you can be intimidating, but you can be kind. And intimidating mm -hmm. comes from, I, my team will tell you whether, you know, through time we've gotten to know each other and we are a family. Yeah. But like during the heat of service, they know, they know, and there is sometimes fear, but not because I place yeah. the fear on them. It's because I place an expectation that I expect from them for mm. themselves, less about me or the restaurant, but on themselves to do good and be good yeah. um, and continue working hard, that that expectation and the presence of how I place that upon them yeah. drives some form of intimidation. But it's never because they're scared of doing something wrong because they're going to be reprimanded. Now, yeah. you know, there's... I'm, it's, I, I, I am a different person in a kitchen than I am at home. Mm -hmm. um, you, have to, <laughs> you have to. You have to lead with confidence and, you know, the, the driver of this ship because yeah. you are ultimately setting the cadence for our guest. So yeah. it's a good mix of expectation, um, mutual respect, kindness, but I hold them to a very, very, very high regard. Um, and I think it's also and they'll probably tell you that sometimes maybe it's like you don't want to disappoint your mom kind of feeling. Mm, and I think that's mm -hmm. a lot of it. And that kind of intimidation and fear of not wanting to disappoint your mom and you want to do a good job for yourself and mm. to make people proud around you yeah. and not let your team down, that is something I'm okay with. Yeah, and that's enough. Yes, right? like that's, that's all that's, you need. Yeah, that's I don't, really I don't, all you need. I don't need, to, I don't need to berate or come down on someone or embarrass them or do any of this stuff because the goal of growing a kitchen family is growing the individual mm. and growing who you are as a human, um, not about a, being a cook. So if I can yeah. tap into and um, want them to be better for themselves, mm -hmm. that's all I got to do. You're really rare. Uh, <laughs> you are so rare and I love it. Um, uh, and, and this, so this brings me, I want to back up now. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of got a little bit of an introduction here and we'll kind of get back into, you know, uh, life as it is now here in a second. Um, let's back the tape up. You were, uh, born in, in Seoul, South Korea. Is that correct? Yep. I was, uh, I was born in Seoul, um, somewhere in and around Seoul. I don't know. Uh, mm -hmm. Exactly, but South Korea, and I was adopted at four months old, and so I flew okay. from Seoul to Detroit. My family, um, who lives in Michigan or lived in Michigan, mm -hmm. uh, picked me up in Detroit. We drove across the, across the state to Grand Rapids, mm -hmm. uh, where I grew up for eighteen years of my life. Wow, um, and siblings were there? I, other, were, yeah. I have one older brother. Okay. Uh, he's eight years older than I am. I'm 37, so okay. I almost failed math, math so whatever, <laughs> whatever age that makes him. <laughs> yeah, somewhere, uh, yeah, 40-something. Yeah. yeah, so he's biological to my mom and my dad. Okay. So, you know, I asked my mom um, why, why she wanted to adopt. And I asked mm. her relatively recently, as in like the past like five years. Mm -hmm. And she... She said she was always meant, you know, you have the, the, the people that are like, I was meant to be a mother. I was meant to parent and take care mm -hmm. of children. Mm -hmm. And that is my mom. 
And she said, I knew I always wanted to have one mm-hmm. biologically, and I knew I always wanted to adopt. And mm. that was that. And she said she's known from a very, very, very young age that that was her path. Wow. Yeah. I, are, are you ever envious of people like that who like have that, like, I knew, because I'm mm. not that at all. Yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't have it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love kids. I love kids. I don't. You're great with them. You were great right. with my kids. Yes. Uh-huh. I, th- I think it's, I think it's, and this is kind of like, is the through line for most of my life is that the expectation I place on myself are oftentimes mm-hmm. expectations I will never reach. And I, and I mm. now understand that. And I yeah. think the pressure of trying to raise, raise a human, like a human yeah. being, it's, yeah. too, it's too much for my, my heart to handle. And mm. I, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't have them or I should, whatever, but it's just, I don't have the instinct. I don't have that. Mm. Yeah. I, I I'll tell you, it's scary and intimidating. The whole it, oh gosh, it, I I tell people you don't know pain or a broken heart until mm. you've had kids. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden you have these little things that you're just like, if anything happens, if they're yeah. disappointed, it's just you worry like you've mm-hmm. never worried. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's it's um, a lot. And I think that like you know you have so many parents and perhaps you would even say the same that when you finally hold your own child it's like unlike any love that you've ever had oh yeah it's this thing that you never could explain and all of a sudden things make sense and mm-hmm. you have the child yes i'm it, also scared that that's not going to happen for me <laughs> oh so. my gosh i think that too oh. i'm like oh it's a baby i'm like what if <laughs> what what if it just feels like this like foreign alien and you're yeah. like, wait a second, what did I just get myself into? Yes. And I think the risk, the risk of that, and there's this weird thing that I have as being an adoptee that uh, I think a lot of adoptees will share the same sentiment, is that I forever wanted a child because I wanted to know what it would look like. Mm. Um, that was also when I was pretending to be straight and actually could like physically in the normal, I guess, quote, normal way. Whatever, child, yeah. Right, mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Right, right. Um, where two people's genes can come together, whatever. Yes, yes. So I, I, that was the only reason I wanted to have a child. And then one, that also created a lot of like, oh my God, expectations. I was like, oh my God, I'm definitely not straight. So this is never going to happen. Yeah. So why <laughs> am I pretending? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, it just, it kind of spirals into a different place. But it's just... I'd be curious, like, show me my child on a computer screen, like, as, like, this, like, figment of digital creativity. creativity. I don't know. I'll pass. I'll pass. I'm good. (laughs) It's all, that's all I really want to see. Yeah. Yeah, Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Well, if it helps your feelings at all, um, we had um, Hudson, our firstborn, and um, we had to have an emergency C-section and Kelly, they, you know, pumped her full of drugs and yeah. everything because it was an emergency situation. So they gave her more than would, you know, normally be given at a C-section, a planned C-section. And, um, and so I was sort of like all of a sudden the parent in the room, which is not a good idea. Um, <laughs> and, and they handed me Hudson and I've, I'm, I think Lisa can attest to this. I probably am overly confident most of the time, I feel like I can do pretty much whatever. Mm-hmm. Just give me a chance and I, I'll, I'll figure it out, you know, kind of thing, whatever. It is the first time ever in my life that I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I literally was like, why did you just give me this? I, 
I'm not supposed to be holding him right now. I don't think this is allowed. I, I literally, yeah. I was scared. I was like, I don't. I, um, am I supposed to do something here? Y'all are supposed to do like do your thing. Like, why are you giving him to me? And um, so, there's all kinds of different emotions that come out um, at childbirth. So, yeah, you're not alone uh, in that <laughs> at all. Um, okay, so you you were adopted. Um, your parents and and your sibling um, are they Caucasian? Yep. Yep. Okay. I grew up in good old fashioned Michigan suburbs. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. So, so at some point for you, and I'm asking this because I think like with an adoption story, sometimes if, if everybody's Caucasian or everybody's black or everybody's mm-hmm. Asian or whatever, then, you know, it's almost like they're, right. you never really know for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you handle that? In your case, it's like, okay, at some point, what's going on here? Right. Um, was that just something that was always talked about? Was it very natural and, and like healthy? Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? You know, the narrative, again, because I think my mom always knew and had a very strong inclination that she wanted to adopt, I think mm-hmm. she, was, she was built with the communication skills and the education skills. She was also a teacher for 39 years, oh, now wow. retired, okay. but mm-hmm. she taught child psychology and early childhood development and all that stuff. So she mm-hmm. kind of knew. So ever since, and I'm sure even before I can even remember, she's always talked about it. Kristen, you know, you know, this is what adopted means, and mm. you know, you're adopted. And it wasn't, it wasn't like sit down and have this curriculum. It was mm. more so like, hey, Kristen, so you were born in Korea, and um, I'm going to read you books about the Korean Cinderella, or I'm going to bring uh-huh. you to a Korean food festival. I'm going to bring you to yeah. the only Korean restaurant I know, like. Aww. So it was more through experience than it was verbal education, wow. um, which I think was a really beautiful way of doing it. And yeah. so I always knew it was always part of it, but I don't, I, there was definitely a shift later on where it was like, I started saying I'm adopted and then fully understanding what that meant. Like mm. I did not come out of my mom's stomach, but to me, mm-hmm. and I think it's, it's a really beautiful way now to, I mean, we've all learned family can be so many different definitions. Yes, absolutely. Um, that I was just kind of always, in, like, it just, it was part of me. And it, mm. and to me, that just was like my family. It was like, not every other family has an adopted kid. Like, what, this is weird. So I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I didn't feel out of place. I, I, I felt like it was just the, the most normal thing for me. That's really- Your mom's amazing. Yeah. 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 That, yes. She's, she's pretty mom. fantastic, yeah. Yeah, that is parents. A, uh, that's awesome. Um, did okay. So at some point, food becomes like this mm. thing for you. Um, have you ever? Have you? First of all, have you ever traced your history mm. back to Korea? Do you know who your biological parents mm. are? Have you looked into that at all? I did. So when uh, God, I think I was when I was sixteen. I was mm-hmm. allowed some form of like paperwork from the adoption agency. When okay. you turn eighteen, you get a little bit more. I don't really understand. I don't know, but my yeah. parents always told me that the information is there whenever I want it. Oh, wow. I okay. just never felt like I wanted it um, mm-hmm. again because I didn't really know what I was quote missing. So mm. it was like, why search for something that I don't feel like sure. I miss? Sure. Sure. Um, eventually though, I think what took over was the natural curiosity that I thought I was supposed to have, not that mm. I'm, not that I actually had. So at mm. 18, I was like, yeah, I'll take all my paperwork and look at the birth records. And, you know, there's an address of some of the foster homes that I was in. I, apparently I was in several handful, um, wow. before I was four months old, but wow. 
Yeah. So I. <sighs> and that's energy that you're taking in, even Correct. if you know at four months. That's oh, really there's, interesting. There's some things that I how I operate now is fully I know from that wow. experience. But wow. Yeah. I so I got all the paperwork. You know, what's what was the most jarring thing? I think was seeing. Um, Technically, I guess I was abandoned. And so mm. when that word is like ingrained and you actually see it, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, but again, I was having all the feelings that I thought I was supposed to have, not what I actually felt. Mm. And so I thought, you know, for a while, I was like, I'm going to go to Korea. I'm going to trace it all back. I want to go to all these places to find the pot of gold, which for me at that time was my bi biological parents. Mm. I don't have a desire at all to to put forth the work to find out who they are. I don't yeah. I don't care. Um, yeah. I, I pay gratitude and thanks for for allowing me a better life. Yeah. Um, and that's all I need. And so I have a curiosity to go and see where I came from and all that stuff. But I also know that that's going to open up a can of worms for me that I'm not necessarily ready for. So mm. I've done as much as I want to for for now. Um, and you know, one day. It could change, and I'll dig a little bit more. But for now, I'm completely, completely content. I think that is really amazing because um, it's just rare to find people who are just content. Yeah, <laughs> like know? I'm good I'm with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. Like because I think it was kind of cool, and I always played this game in my head. And my mom always told me growing up. So your biological mom um, couldn't, didn't have enough money to feed you and to like take care of you. And so that was always the narrative in my head. Now, whether that's true or not, I'm not entirely sure. And I don't think my mom actually knows, but mm -hmm. um, you know, that was always like, okay, well, great. That was a, a good enough answer. And now I, you know, I kind of like, I'm like, okay, well, if, what if that's not true? What if she's like, mm -hmm some crazy famous chef in Seoul and like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like all this stuff. And then I found out I was 90% Korean, 10% oh, Japanese. Wow. And that I'm like, okay, well, what if she had like a torrid affair and like with this <laughs> Japanese, half Japanese man, and then it was like forbidden and like you weren't 100% yeah. Korean. So they had to give me up and all this stuff. So I can look at it in a very, I guess, um, mm -hmm. playful lens yeah. uh, no matter no matter what because quite frankly my life is really beautiful and I have an amazing yeah. family yeah absolutely so then I think that begs the question at least it does for me where did the food thing come from <laughs> that's a great question <laughs> um, <laughs> no one in my family are cooks okay. Um, okay. they cook but yeah. they're not cooks professionally okay. Okay. Um, oh gosh I think Oh man, I don't know. My I come from a fa my family is engineers and educators and accountants and CPAs and you know all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I think I started I, w I started watching a cooking show at five years old and I and I picked up the motions of what it looked like to use a knife and what it mm. meant to actually saute something and yeah. whether I did it for real in the kitchen at five or I went into the yard and took dry, crunchy <laughs> leaves and put them on my tennis racket to make oh, wow. the noise. Like, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, like it just, I think had I, and I use this example and it's it's funny that, you know, I, I think I've mentioned this to you before, that I have a fascination with woodworking. And yeah. I think I have a fascination with just building things with my hands and creating mm -hmm. something. And at five, had I watched you make something 
like a cutting board very simply with just your hands and, you know, simple equipment. I probably would have tried to mimic that. And who knows? I could be a woodworker in some form right now. But yes. it's, it's, it's at five and I took to the cooking and that's that's kind of where it started. And that was just it. And you that just, was it. Yeah. And there's articles about you like, you know, just uh, I think there's one I read said something like instinctively putting mm. kimchi on mm-hmm. like a burger or something. I don't know. I mean, yeah. some something. Did did you really have, I mean, you you mentioned that your, your mom um, took you to Korean restaurants mm-hmm. and things like that. When you tasted that food, did it spark something? I wish I could say yes. Um, It didn't. I I viewed food, especially at such a young age, I didn't view food as like a story into culture. I Mm -hmm. viewed it as like something that tastes good and something that doesn't. And (laughs) (laughs) I, I remember, I I have always loved sauerkraut and fermented things. Um, And my dad, me too. my dad's side of the family is Hungarian German, so sauerkraut mm. is like a big thing. Sure, yeah. And I think that perhaps I took to that as a as a young kid that most young kids weren't really fond of, mm. um, because maybe I grew up with some form of kimchi like sense or something. I don't really yeah. know, <laughs> um, but I viewed food as as flavor, and that was that yeah. was that less yeah. about family and history and culture, but. Um, I don't know. I I tasted it and I liked it. So yeah. where that comes from, I'm not, I'm not sure. But kimchi sure. was like, I was like, ooh, this is pretty dang good. Yeah, right. Well, it is good. Yeah, uh, it is. <laughs> I, it's very tasty. Um, I, oh gosh, yeah. I wish I had more of it in my life. Yeah. And, well, finding um, it in Waco, Texas but is a little difficult. <laughs> it's, it's a little difficult. <laughs> Thank you, you Lisa. Could, you could probably build an amazing, like, this uh, something yeah. to bury in your own grounds, like with yes. you know beautiful wood that somehow like <laughs> imparts flavor and creates the <laughs> fermentation. I bet a hundred percent you could completely crush it. <laughs> a prop, maybe maybe I could get some uh, old barrels from Balcones yeah. Whiskey down the street. There and, you go. Uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're friends with them, so um, yeah, we could maybe do that. Okay, everybody, Man Unmade was created to amplify women's voices. And early on, we decided that beyond each interview, we also wanted to highlight women in business and music. So in each episode, we'll take time out to turn you on to a new business you've maybe never heard of and a singer-songwriter whose music we think you should try out. The music will come at the end of each podcast, so make sure you keep listening after we've wrapped the interview. If you're listening now and you happen to own or work for or have a friend with a business, or if you know of an artist or you are one, shoot us an email to contact at manunmadepodcast.com. But the spotlight on women's businesses is right now. This week, we are going to talk about the McBride Sisters wine. Oh my goodness. Black Girl Magic. That is the label. And uh, it looks so yummy. I'm online right now at McBrideSisters.com. And here's the breakdown. Okay, since 2005, the McBride sisters, Robin and Andrea's mission has become clear to transform the industry, lead by example, and cultivate community one delicious glass of wine at a time. Over time, McBride sisters has grown into what is not only the largest black-owned wine company in the United States, but one of the most inclusive, accessible, socially aware, and sustainable. That is awesome. Lisa, I'm all in. 
Yes, it looks amazing. Um, would love to have one of the spritzers. What are, What is the spritzers called? She can. Um, she can. At, at the park, throwing the frisbee with my dog. What a great summer activity. Wait a second. I, it, it, or did spring. You, did you catch it? Did you catch it? She can. Yes. Yes, I did. Like she can she, do it. Yes. Yes. That's a so ingenious. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to excuse your friend. He's a little slow. Um, I, you know, didn't pick up on that one right away. Um, but now I got it. And that is brilliant. She can. Oh my gosh. Also their label is beautiful. Like their, it it's so with the M emblem and the, is it like yes. lions on the side? It's so pretty. Yes. And if you shop on their website, every single one of their wines, I think has one of those like award symbols like mm -hmm. yeah uh, this one has 94 points i don't know what that means the the california riesling has 94 points that sounds good to me it's got to be out of 100 right <laughs> yeah i would love to talk to them because i'm sure man could they tell us some stories um and uh i would love to learn how they've come up in the industry um but to start let me tell you right now i'm, I'm online right now and i am going to buy the merlot Yep, Kelly and I love red wine. So I'm going to buy the Merlot and that will be coming to my house soon. Oh, I can't wait. That is fantastic. And you want the she-cans, yeah? Yes. I'll buy you some she-cans. Really? I'll, yeah, Sweet. I'll buy you some she-cans. You and Luke can go to the park. Well, I will accept your offer. <laughs> uh, you got it. Thank okay, you. everybody, go. You need to uh, go to McBrideSisters.com right now. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you might, you know, if you're at a restaurant somewhere, you might find it on the menu um, or at your local grocery store or whatever. And if you see it, pick it up. Black Girl Magic. Um, oh, my gosh. You're so right. The label is beautiful. I want it just for the label. So there you go. That's it. Um, you can shop the McBride Sisters collections at McBrideSisters.com. And you can find them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at McBride Sisters. Uh, all three of them, apparently. Same handle, at McBride Sisters. Go check them out. McBride Sisters, I am just thankful for what you two are putting out into the universe. I am incredibly excited to get my wine and friends, go check them out. No need to hurry. No need to sparkle. No need to be anybody but oneself. Virginia Woolf. Were you encouraged in your family from your, by your mom and dad to be who you were? A hundred percent. Uh all of my life and especially looking back mm. on it now i'm like wow so mm. my mom and my dad taught me what they knew which was um solid education mm -hmm. you work hard you get a job when you're 16 um you know eventually you're going to meet someone you're going to settle down you're going to get married you're going to have kids and you know that whole thing because mm -hmm. that's what they did mm -hmm. um I didn't grow up sheltered, but certainly there wasn't like gay pride happening down my street. So mm, I, yeah. I, I was always taught to, to accept everyone for who they are. And that's yeah. really it. And I think it wasn't until I was able to kind of get out and see more and understand what that actually meant by mm. being around people that weren't like me or, you know, a six degree separation of me. Right. Um, that I understood that, you know, what they were actually talking about. And I will never forget. So we would take these summer vacations um, to Martha's, Martha's Vineyard and Ooh, Cape yeah. Cod. Yeah. Nice. Amazing. Uh -huh. Very mm -hmm. 
all-American kind of vacation. <laughs> yeah, sure. And my mom, we, we went to P-Town. And P-Town is known for the gay scene and, you know, okay. pride and, you know, rainbows and amazingness. Yeah. And it was during gay pride that my mom, that we decided to go to take the ferry to go to P-Town. And Mm-mm. I... Like I they remember. knew it? They knew it was they gay didn't. pride? No, they didn't okay. know. And so we all arrive as a family, like my my very Caucasian parents and their little Asian little girl, and we're walking down the streets. And I can tell my mom doesn't know what to say, but she doesn't want to say anything because she doesn't yeah. really know what to say. So yeah. we just walk down the street, and I'm like, oh, my God, colors. And I'm like this little girl that sees colors and glitter and half-naked people running around and I'm like okay cool and the best thing about it is that my mom never she never because she didn't say anything there was no expectation placed on any of it Uh that it was just like here we are and this is what we're doing and we just walked down the street in our uh you know pastel colored (laughs) clothes and 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 had a great time and then that was it and we left and I was like okay cool um so my mom and my dad never told me what was right and what was wrong, uh-huh. and they never said what was normal and what was not normal because there's yeah. no such yeah. no such thing. Right, um, right, right. So that was the most beautiful thing, and it was my I was the one that placed so much pressure to be normal and perfect because mm. what I saw what was normal and perfect through media and yes. magazines and all that stuff. So I struggled internally and as an individual with all that stuff, but as I moved through it, my mom and my dad. Um, let me move through it, mm. and they just, so it was openly talked about in terms of your family. You you didn't come out publicly till much later. Is that ooh, correct? Well, so I always knew. I knew from the second I watched Notting Hill and Julia Roberts <laughs> came on that screen, and I was like, "That's my dream woman." <laughs> that was it. Like done. <laughs> Sold. I'm like, oh my god. And I remember I was sitting with like my friend. I just want to let you know I have the same feelings with Lenny Kravitz. Really? I mean, what a beautiful yeah. man he is. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Uh, Kelly and I, we, we talk about it. I'm just like, he is something. Amazing. But, but I also really loved Lisa Bonet. So yeah. I, it's I, very confused. We are, we know. are, we are, I will always, I will always say, like, be, and especially now, we are, we are, we are human beings that yes. can find anything and anyone attractive. And that does not, label yeah. you any certain way right, it's an appreciation right. exactly, for people a hundred percent you know what i mean yes so, and it doesn't take away anything yeah. from anything and it's just yes. it is what it is so and, so you see julia roberts she walks onto the screen i'm sorry oh, i interrupted with Lenny. go ahead and i i was like <laughs> i there's a thing when you are when you are awesome. when you are gay like there is that clicking moment that's mm-hmm. like okay well this is more than just like a little crush this is like mm-hmm. holy sh- like I am yeah. I am gay. Oh yeah. my god. Mm-hmm. Um and that happened and I mm-hmm. I I've always known but I I don't know. I think I was scared and every single person that has to come out will tell you the same thing regardless of how you grew up whether your parents were like don't worry everything's okay and be who mm-hmm. you are and they they allow you to lead into that space no yeah. matter what whenever you have to say it it is the hardest Oof. thing you'll ever say. Yeah. Um, more because you're admitting it to yourself. And it, there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't know why it's so difficult. But yeah. um, no, no one knew, but I always knew. And then eventually I came out at 28 to my parents. Mm-hmm. And my mom's response was, well, I think we already knew. 
And oh, wow. yeah. that was that. <laughs> and so, yes, they knew, but I didn't publicly say it to her or mm. it to anyone until that moment. Did, did you have like girlfriends that you didn't tell them about? Yep, yeah. sure did. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I had like a super serious like relationship Mm. as an adult with a woman that I was that I was ready to to publicly claim that for myself yeah so. yeah well, you know did you grow up around um I did I, I grew up in the and I, I, I swear I'm not trying to um you know just beat up my upbringing or <laughs> um the the church and all this but listen the reality is we've all screwed up and we've all done mm-hmm. things uh incorrectly and whatnot and i grew up ar- around the church scene and so i don't i don't know if you did or not but i can tell you i can imagine from that angle how hard it must be for young women and young men who realize hey i'm gay yeah and because it's not just like well, this isn't right. It's a heaven or hell thing. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, oh my gosh, of course you're petrified. You right. know, it's like, I can't say this. Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah. W- were you brought up at all around spiritual stuff that intensified that? Or was it just pretty much like you just were taking in the energy of the world, which even if you didn't grow up in a, around spiritual stuff, it still was like, well, this is different. Right, exactly. You know, I grew up, so my dad went to Catholic school. Okay. Uh, my grandmother, you know, when she was alive, like it was, you know, we said the Lord's Prayer before dinner and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But it was never in this way that I felt like I didn't feel obligated. So mm-hmm. it, I've had an interesting relationship with religion. And it's mm-hmm. because I think, because I'm gay, right, where you start to question everything like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I grew up uh, with that. I went through first communion. Uh, my brother, my brother did communion and or and uh, confirmation. I think it is. So he went through all that stuff in order to get married mm. um, in a Catholic church. And I'm going to all these things and I'm watching it. And I go to church and I'm going through the motions and I'm doing the thing and I'm going up and taking communion and doing the cross and all this stuff. And I, I think when I realized. I think when my grandmother passed, I think it, it, that was the thing that was gluing all of it together. And I think when mm. she passed, it became less of a focus. Not because mm. we didn't believe in, in a higher being, but it's mm-hmm. the motion of like, like go to church and do this and do this and do this. And the, the, the actual physical places you have to go to yes. worship. So right. once that kind of floated away, um, and I, and I started going into the space of like paying attention to what organized religion meant, not to get mm-hmm. too heavy, but I was like, this, is, this isn't yeah. for me. Yeah, um, not your and jam. That, and again, it's not to say that I don't believe sure. in God or a higher being or in a spiritual way, whatever. Sure. I know there's something greater than all of us. Yeah, that's right, um, exactly. But I, but I don't need to go, I don't need to go in order to practice. Yes. Um, you know, and I did, I, I'll fully admit, you know, when I go to, when we, you know, sometimes we do the prayer and like when all the kids get together and, you know, we honor my grandmother and all that stuff, I don't, I don't do the cross across yeah. my chest anymore. I, yeah. I, yeah. I don't feel authentic, it, it is authentic mm-hmm. to me. Mm. Um, so I've learned how to make my decisions in a way that's respectful to my past and to my family and to those who want to, to celebrate and 
um, practice in that way, but it's just not for me. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally get it. You know, it was, it was one of those things. I think I was brought up under such like um, everything. This is the way it is. Um, absolute truth, blah, blah, blah. It was just always this way. And when I finally got to this point of like, you know what, this whole thing is just a giant mystery that I'll never understand. And I don't need it to be told to me exactly the way it is. I don't, I don't need to know. I'm, right. I'm fine. Like I'm okay with not knowing. Man, life got a lot brighter. Right. It really did. Yeah. All of a sudden, like the window shades were just like drawn back and it was like light just started to pour in because I wasn't in this dark like corridor of just like stuffiness and like having to, everything has to be a certain way. And yeah. you know, you're not right if you don't believe it this way. And yes, and, there's and, too much pressure. Yeah. There's too much yeah. pressure and there's so many rules that it's just, it's, it becomes disingenuous because you're just yeah. trying to like make sure you tick all the boxes. Yes. And as opposed to just saying, be good, do good, spread good, love everyone. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's it. That's if we it. can do that, we might actually yeah. turn out okay. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, have your beliefs, man, have, have yeah. them, but good Lord, please. Like, um, well, I'm, I always say like, I, you know, there are, believe whatever you want to believe, whether you mm -hmm. believe in things that are, you know, whatever it may be. But if it does not affect you mm -hmm. personally, right? do not place any worth on someone yeah. else's life. Right. Like, that does yes. not make sense to me. So Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. Throw those blinders on and go along yeah. your way. Like Just whatever. Exactly. A hundred percent. Um, Okay, I listened to this podcast that you were on, um, Cherry Bomb. Yep. It was great. Yeah, Thank so you. good. And um, I love that you started talking about um, Hamburger Helper. Mm -hmm. I thought that was hilarious. Um, in, in, which, by the way, like, if you say that word, like, the old factory senses in yep. my mouth and my nose, everything starts like, you can just feel the little guys back there running around. Oh, red alert, red alert. Yeah. Somebody said hamburger helper. Uh, it's like, oh man, that brings back some memories. But um, but basically you you kind of started to talk about um, um, that your food now is a is like a reflection of your life mm -hmm. to, to a degree. Um, was it always that or did you progress to, to that? Or was it just like, you were just cooking food at first. You were in just cooking food, right. just making food. When did you then finally get to do it how you wanted to do it? Wow, there's there's so many different layers to that. I think for a while, especially right when you go into culinary school, you are you are taught the one ones and the basics, and you follow a recipe, and this is what French mm. cooking is, and this is mm -hmm. how you make coquelin and beef bourguignon, and this is this is here is here is like your starting point. And you were and at Cordon Bleu in Chicago, is that correct? I was, yep. Okay, yep, okay. And so from there, what happens is, you know, you enter into restaurants where you're cooking other people's food. So you're mm -hmm. doing what they tell you to do. You're essentially a soldier in their kitchen and you, you do what their story is. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually when I became uh, a, the chef de cuisine at Stir, which mm -hmm. is uh, for Chef Barbara Lynch in Boston, I was creating yes. menus, new menus every single day. Five course tasting menus changed every day. Um, and that's kind of really where I started to find my creativity. So mm -hmm. I was cooking in that part of my life with like leading with creativity. And mm -hmm. then after Stir, I went to Monton, which is Relais Chateau property, very, very, very fine dining. Um, and then I started cooking with my head. And I was mm -hmm. like, 
technically precise and perfect and trying to do flavor combinations and doing techniques that perhaps weren't the norm. And it was about trying to be the best because you're looking at the number one best restaurants in the world. And it's Mm. these crazy like concoctions where you're like mad scientists kind of Mm. cooking. Yeah, right. And so that's that's what I was trying to do because I was trying to be the best. Um, Mm. Come to find out that is that does not that did not bring me joy, uh, and it did not bring Shocker. me. It did, yeah, it did not bring me a sense of happiness and calm. And the whole reason I got into cooking in the first place was because I loved cooking and feeding mm. people. Mm-hmm. And so when I realized eventually, and it took a long time, that what it meant to fulfill me as a cook and as mm-hmm. a storyteller through food, while also being able to fulfill someone else's love of food as a yeah. diner, yeah, that, that became, okay, well, now I'm going to do that through comfort, mm-hmm. but I can do comfort in a way that's elevated. And then from there, it became the only story that has not been told is my story. Mm. So when I realized that I, my story was worth being told, Mm. that's when things really clicked for me. Wow. And I think um, it, it, it all kind of came full circle and it allowed me to um, practice and work on what self-worth meant every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lead it through my personal life, which then infiltrates into my professional life. When did that, when did that happen? How many years ago when you realized, mm. my story matters? Um, when I was building... <laughs> when I was building the menu for Arlo Gray. Okay. We opened in June of 2018. I started mm-hmm. the menu process six months before then, just coming down with ideas. Um, you know, that's not to say that my book or anything else hasn't drawn from story, but it's mm-hmm. different when all of a sudden you place one menu in front of a guest and they're gonna pay for your food. That's yeah. a whole nother thing. I was yeah. cooking, you know, around the world, doing pop-ups and doing all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but I didn't have to do it every day and tell a consistent story. So it yeah. wasn't until I had to um, that I actually had to really give it some thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that menu took a lot of different, um, it took a lot of different iterations and twists mm. and turns because what I had initially on paper, I opened with and then through time, I was like, wait a second, hold on. I'm deviating mm. from like what my story is. And then it mm. landed probably about six months into, into opening. Well, I've been there and I can tell you, whew, <laughs> what you've pulled off in just a short couple of years is mind-blowing. Thank it you. is so good. Um, oh my gosh. Um, okay, so uh, historically, the joke is a woman's place is in the kitchen, mm. right? Like this is this is the the big like, you know, oh, come on, woman, go in the kitchen and make us all something to eat. Go grab me a beer, go, you know, whatever. Like, this is what you hear. Whether you want to or not, mm. you are going to get this message if you live on this planet. I don't, I don't, I don't really care. It's like, because it, it's so widespread. This is like, especially here in America, for crying out loud. Oh my gosh. Okay, so then women actually get in the kitchen mm. and they're not accepted. Right. What the hell? Yeah, that's great question. It was we are we are we are required to 
caretake. And if you're cooking and feeding people and cooking and you're in the kitchen because you're taking care of your family and you're, you know, someone's out creating, making the money and then the woman stays home and takes care of her family. Mm -hmm. This is what you do. But all of a sudden then women become business women and business people Mm -hmm. um, and a leader, a true leader operating a restaurant. (laughs) Like Mm. then you're like, whoa, wait a second. And you know, Again, I've been I've been in a mildly privileged little bubble in regards to my experience being a woman in the mm-hmm. kitchen, because mm-hmm. um, I again I did not face the worst of it, and I I I always had a very strong female mentor, Barbara Lynch, who was always yes. like, "You put yourself out there, you do what you do, and you don't apologize for any of it." And mm. that's who she is. And so, as her as an example was very. I was easy to follow and I just kind of stuck in her tailwinds and, <laughs> and, you know, was protected in a lot of ways in that sense. So, um, I mean, I don't get it. I think every industry, whether, no matter what industry, um, when you're a woman, you know, oftentimes your seat at the table is, is less than sadly. Um, and that's just what our country was founded on. So I think and- things, yeah. Isn't that, uh, you kind of talk about this in the Cherry Bomb podcast and I loved it because this, I think this principle, it adheres to so many different things. But what you talked about was um, um, we all have different times in our life where we have, you know, struggles for you. There was a, a period in your life where you had some substance abuse and and you, you talked about the, um, I guess the, the, the group, the support that you had around you to get through that. And you mentioned like the sooner we all just like we're comfortable with the fact that hey we effed up here you know like we screwed up or we we've made mistakes and like you were just comfortable talking about that it's like the dragon was slain and I think like um, with the kitchen with everything I, I mean I look at that in my own personal life and I'm like oh my gosh, the quicker I can come around to telling my wife, hey, I just really screwed up here. I'm sorry, you know, I messed up. Um, and I think that that is, is that not part of it with the whole like, you know, women not being accepted is, guys, can we just talk about this? This is just reality. Mm-hmm. Women are not accepted and they should be, get over it and let's move on. We've yeah. done it wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, we are all built with ego. Like we, we all, we all have it. And to say yeah. that you are ego free is a complete lie. Yeah. And I'm built with it. And it's, it's combating our own egos for the greater good of what it means for humankind. Yeah. And e- easier said than done. But I think as long as we can recognize, um, and I've been, re- I work really hard on understanding what my triggers are. And mm. so when I start to feel that feeling of any kind, kind of start to bubble up and I can feel mm. myself beginning to step outside of myself mm. um, and something that's not in true form of me, then mm. I have to stop it. I take a second for myself. I re- recognize it and then I will proceed. And I think oftentimes we, mm. we all speak too quickly. We act, we are reactionary humans. Yeah. Um, and I think if we all just kind of take a minute and before we say the things that we want, like the things that we feel that are coming up very quickly, if we take a second and recognize where it's coming from, a lot of the things and, you know, the, the actions and the words that we all, you know, have been accustomed to, I guess, acting and um, going by, yeah. those things won't 
they will become less and less in some mm -hmm. sense. Um, yeah. You know, and communication is big with ourselves and then with our loved ones. And again, like yeah. you're saying, Clint, like if you, if you mess up, say you mess up, let's talk about it, let's move forward and fix it, right? right? right Otherwise we're right. gonna keep making the same mistakes. And yes. so yes, it's important to talk about the fact that women have been underrepresented. Trans women have been grossly underrepresented. Yes, yeah. Um, women of color, like 100%. women with an X, you know, what, we're, what we say now is like women spelled W-O-M-E-X-N um, incorporates and is inclusive mm -hmm. to all women. Um, and that, that's great. you know, like, yeah, it is. We all need to admit that there was an issue and there is an issue. It's getting better, but there is still an issue um, in order to fix it. I mean, let's, let's talk about the issue, okay? Let's talk about the fact that, um, so I, I, we've done some research here. Um, 2020, Le Chef compilation of 100 best chefs. Mm. Okay, this is 2020. Mm -hmm. This is not... 2017 to 1995. This is this year, 2020. 100 best chefs in the world. Five were women out of 100. <laughs> right. That cannot be correct, Kristen. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, there's a, there's a, and that, this kind of stems from representation. Yeah. It's what we see is what we yes. know. Yes, um, yes. Because ultimately, if we don't put forth the effort and time to educate ourselves on all the women chefs in this world, then we're not going to yeah. know, right? And yeah. so people don't oftentimes want to do the work. So it's like, what is the media projecting? What's being represented? Oh, this is what we have to judge the 100 best chefs on. And yes, men are more represented. Yes, there are probably, there are, there are more ultimately more men in this industry. It's a male dominated industry. So yes, mm -hmm. it's going to be simpler, I guess, to kind of put forth all those people in those names. Um, people, unfortunately the media is like our friend, but it's also probably yeah. the worst person <laughs> yeah. ever. Um, <laughs> that some, you know, some media people don't want to put forth the efforts and, and the work and understanding what it means. And I've never been a fan of the best of lists. Yeah, uh, right, whether right. I make them or whether I don't, I couldn't give a flying. Yeah. Yes. Whatever. Yeah, you can say it. Yes. <laughs> but, you, you couldn't give a flying fuck, and I, I, I'm with you. I understand, a hundred percent. Yes. Because to say something or someone is the best means that you've had every single potential option that's out there, which yeah, is exactly. impossible. Yes. Now, to, now state it, and if the media would state these best of lists is like. Um, here's what we tried, this is what we thought was great, and this is why we loved it, as opposed to ranking and putting this competitive, like, comp like thing together. Right. Just talk about and champion the things that you love. Yeah. As opposed to saying, this one's the best. Like... Yes. What, I, I, don't under, <laughs> I don't understand. Why, I really why does don't. it have to be better than... It's just great. And uh, you know, it's just there, what it is. Yeah. There are some things that work like that, that, that mm -hmm. operate and that can self-motivate, i.e. Peloton yeah. and all that stuff. <laughs> that you want to be the best and you want to win. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. But yeah. like, again, the media has so much power over our industry um, and has the ability to, to push forth restaurants and to completely ruin them. So mm, like, yes. can we just, can we just like, let's just champion everyone that's doing something good out there and right. allow space for other people to tell their stories yeah. too. 
Do do you have allies, uh, male allies in the culinary world, who oh, are who are recognizing it? Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, especially especially in twenty twenty, um, we've all realized that we need to speak up more, myself included, to mm. speak up more on behalf of of those who aren't or can't or are underrepresented, to speak up mm-hmm. on things that are working, and mm-hmm. to speak up against speak out against the things that aren't. So, you know, I think. Um, we are all really good at talking, mm. and over time, our actions are going to be. Um, it, it, we'll we'll see, you know. We, yeah. You you can't really say that it's making. You know, everything that we're saying. Um, if we could just like snap our fingers and everything goes into action right then, and we can see a result. But actions, we we're not going to yeah. see a result for a while. So, no. um, yeah, there definitely. There are men in in our industry that are speaking up more, mm-hmm. um, and again, over time, we'll see what happens. It, it's one of those things that just does not make sense to me um, because I'm like, it's not like I mean, some of the pots and pans may be really heavy or something, right. but oh I my mean, God, it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, it's not like. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you look at like I'm a big runner, you know, and it's like okay, you know, if you look at the the times of male runners versus female runners. Okay, I get it. Like traditionally men finish a marathon faster than, you know, women by yeah. a little bit, you know, okay, like whatever, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, you can get into some strength competitions and things like this, but I'm like, it's cooking. Right. It, well, it's, you know, yeah. I mean, like what is going on? This is not, <laughs> it's, it, it's insanity. It comes from, it comes from, and again, like there are so many things as women we need to we need to stand up for and speak out mm-hmm. against. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, it really kind of there's a and I've, I forget who said it, probably someone very famous. Um, but it's a lot of it kind of starts with tackling the toxic masculinity of what yes. we teach our young yeah. boys. Yes. Right. And when they are when they are young, like. They are taught you don't show emotion, you don't cry. This is what it means to be a man. You don't ask for help. You do everything yourself. You are brute yeah. strength. You are the provider. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm, oh mm-hmm. my God! What an immense amount of yeah. pressure! I can't even yeah. imagine. Like <laughs> Christ Almighty! Like <laughs> ah! <laughs> like you, I would want to yeah. rip my hair out. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I did. You know, women. Yeah. Women are women are taught to be submissive and men to be dominant. Yes. Like and that's just Oof. caveman style. But um. Mm. I think I think more everything would be a little bit better too if men would just ask for help a little bit more <laughs> and kind of show show the vulnerability mm-hmm. um like in the kitchen like you're saying women can't lift everyone or lift everything and neither yeah. can men sometimes That's right. it takes a team of four people <laughs> yeah. mixed up of all different kinds of people <laughs> to move that half a cow into the walk-in like you yeah. need help and yes. I have no shame in asking uh, someone like my, my chef de cuisine who is much stronger than I am, and he's a man, I have no problem saying, hey, can you carry that into the walk-in? And sure. if he can't, he has no problem saying, hey, yeah. can you help me? Give me a hand. Yes. <laughs> like, it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's all okay. Like, yes. I, I don't know. Just ask for help when you need it, whether you're a man or a woman, or whether you think you should or should not. It, it well listen it i mean it's um it's a slow changing of the tide 
um, you know, um, as they say, like, you know, trying to turn the Titanic around, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, it, it, you can't just do it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes, it takes time. And, um, I, I just love that for you, um, this is part of what you're doing, but you're just doing it through being you. Mm. And I think that is just absolutely amazing. Um, I look at the different things you're involved in. I think I read where you're a part of like um, uh, adoption support mm-hmm. for Korean or Asian um, kids. I think I saw that. Is that? Yep, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, you're, you're speaking out for um, women in the culinary world. You're, I mean, you, and, and, and all of that, what's really great about it, Kristen, um, from what I know about you and as I've gotten to know you, is it's just literally a natural outpouring of what is inside. And um, I just, I think it's like so stinking cool. Um, Gosh, you're amazing. I could talk to you um, all day. Um, And we didn't even really talk food. (laughs) Because what we do is not who we are. Yeah, that's it. And who we are, who we are is, you know, the heart of everything. Uh, Come on. I want to talk really quickly. I know you probably need to go, um, but you've got some fun stuff coming up and I definitely want to hit that. Um, you've got a new show. It's So what I have here is new fun late night cooking show premiering early 2021. Correct. So it's on- Tell me True, more. Yep. So it's on True Network. It's myself, uh, Justin Sutherland and Jeremy Ford, both of which who are on Top Chef. Um, okay. Jeremy won his season. Justin uh, won- he competed on Iron Chef, won Iron Chef, all that stuff. So okay. um, it's on True Network at 10 p.m., which means that maybe it's not suitable for children because <laughs> we are being who we are and we yes. we say that F word a lot and yeah. we're running around and you know, we have we have a we have a guest um, a guest every episode where we uh-huh. kind of we tackle their favorite fast food items. So we do it in two ways. One, we try to recreate it exactly like to the T, um, whether it's KFC or McDonald's or um, Mm -hmm. whatever. Yes. And then the second round, which is the most fun for me, is you get to recreate it. So you get to take the essence of what that fast food item is and create this beautiful restaurant quality dish in our own style. And then every episode's a little mini competition and one of us wins. So no one gets kicked off. The stakes, we don't win any money. Like the stakes have never been lower, honestly. So um, (laughs) This summer, the stakes have never been lower. (laughs) We just get to cook. We get to cook, and that is amazing. And we get to cook without a filter, um, which is a really beautiful thing. So very excited for that. Um, And then Top Chef, uh, the way they filmed it this season, it's going to air, I think, in spring. They brought back a bunch of alumni, and we are the guest judges and diners. um, Cool. Because we had a film in a a COVID world. So Mm -hmm. uh, we all lived in a bubble together. So you're going to be a judge on that. Correct. Um, You've also got your book, Kristen Mm -hmm. Kish Cooking. Yep. And um, that is a great cookbook. Everybody needs to go and check that out for sure. Um, Arlo Gray down in Austin at the Line Hotel. Okay, so good. Mm-hmm. Go eat, eat everything. I, I have a rule. If I go to a restaurant, and I know I'm not going to be back there in a while. Well, really, even if I know I would be back. <laughs> but I just say order everything yep. and don't wor- worry about the details later. Yep. It's okay. Um, eat it all. It's so good. And go watch the bats. Mm-hmm. So fun. Um, the, if you don't know, in Austin, all the bats, they migrate under the bridge and you're right there. 
We are you, we are literally right there. And so we have it. We're doing indoor dining, obviously, very safely um, with all the r- restrictions and rules. Mm-hmm. And so you have protocol. reopened now. We yeah, we reopened in okay. October. So we have okay. we have indoor dining available. Um, and as you know, the dining room is massive. So yes. the amount of space between tables is pretty great. That's um, great. And we have a partnership with American Express for um, private heated yurts out on the pool oh, deck. Oh, nice. So yes. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So, Sweet. and again, the restaurant industry right now is, is like many industries, is definitely suffering. And yeah. mm-hmm. uh, it's important to support your favorites. Yeah, no doubt. Oh my gosh. Um, also follow you on social at Kristen L. Kish. That is K-R-I-S-T-E-N-L-K-I-S-H, Kristen yep. Kish, and at Arlo Gray Austin. Um, my gosh, you are just one of my favorite people. Um, my kids talk about eating at your restaurant all the time. Mm-hmm. And you gotta know that's high <laughs> praise. <laughs> because oh my goodness, they're picky. Yeah. Um <laughs> And they they and we talk about that chocolate cake. Oh mm. yeah, that's a winner. Yeah, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! You came out and you go and here's the here's the thing. It's vegan. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> it is the best chocolate cake I've ever had in my life. It's incredible. Um, Thank you. Yeah, everything you do is uh, really top notch. So proud of you and um, you. proud to uh, know you. Thank you so much for uh, for being on today. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. That was so fun talking to Kristen Kish. Um, What a lovely person, right? So nice. Yes. So kind. Kind, Kristen. (laughs) Kind, Kristen. Yes. And I'm also hungry because she is just the most amazing chef. I have eaten her food twice and both times equally blown away. I mean, never, ever disappoints. Oh my gosh. Um, I just feel so much lighter and like um, full in like a good way. Like my spirit is full after talking with Kristen Kish. She is, uh, wow, she's wonderful. Thank you, Kristen. This week's music, uh, it's amazing. Samia, I'm saying that right. Yes, Correct. Samia, correct. Samia, all right. You have written down bold, punk rock and i that's that's right the best way to describe this song for sure yeah very bold someone tell the boys that is the song or not so bold someone tell the boys they're not important anymore i feel like that's so appropriate they've had they've had their time now it's ours (laughs) that's exactly right and that is what she says someone tell the boys they're not important anymore. Oh my gosh. I love this. This song, I just, it's like, I just want to like, you know, work out or I mean, it is really good and inspiring. Yeah. And you it's can cool. check out her new album, The Baby. It's out now. You can listen to it um, at her Instagram and Twitter account, Samia the Band. You can check it out there. And it's cool. also on Spotify. Rock on. Yeah. Yeah, this this album, Someone Tell the Boys, or this song, uh, was released in 2017. Yes. Um, yeah. It's just a single, but yeah, but her new album, The Baby, is out now. Yeah, but this song was just perfect. Someone Tell the Boys. Oh my gosh. How could we not play that for Man Unmade? <laughs> it's just great. Enjoy the song. Enjoy Samia. Thank you, Samia, for being 
bold and punky and rocky and all the things that you are because uh, we love it here on Man Unmade. Keep it going. Your music is incredible. That is it for us today. Man Unmade is produced, organized, researched, and generally held together by Lisa Collins. Audio production and original music by Jackson Palomino. I'm your host, Clint Hart. Thanks for joining us on Man Unmade. Let's listen to some music. Bye, friends. Oh, the kids, you know, what really wrecked you Was his grand and histrionic exit And I sat on that bed so perplexed Strung out and fumed and vexed Whisper louder, what do you want from me? can't fucking hear you You keep crying the way Jesus do Maybe this isn't about you Maybe this isn't about you Someone tell the boys they're not important anymore Just like my ex-boyfriend And he's got my ring in his bed He turned me sideways and said I don't wanna have sex And I couldn't get a word in I should've paid him I'm just a vessel still I guess I need to be proud Oh, someone tell the boys They're not important anymore